Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, and welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. I'm joined today by Amir Hajizamani from nice. London, England. <laughs> and hi, Amir. Hi, Eyal. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the dive. Yes, thank you for coming on. And here we go. What are you going to talk to me today about? Oh, I feel like we're going to talk about everything. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, my personal manifesto and sort of how I wrote it, why I wrote it, how I'm using it, and um, also to see what your take on it is and get your reflections on it as we, as we go through it. Excellent, excellent. And for those listening, of course, uh, there will be a link to the manifesto in the episode notes. Um, mm-hmm. Great. So usually I ask my guests to trace the evolution of the concept or practice back in time. So going back in time, how, how far do you have to go to really find the roots of this idea? Hmm, okay. So I guess the more, the most obvious point of Genesis for it was, um, being, being in, in, uh, in therapy and my therapist suggesting me writing out things about defining my authenticity. So I remember looking at a few other people's uh, lists um, of such affirmations, or I don't even know what to call them exactly. I don't know if they're values, their affirmations, their goals, their, you know, they're a combination of all of these things. Um, and after reading a few different people's, I think it just came to me. Like, I don't even remember exactly how I wrote it. I just sat down and 23 items came. Um, it, it wasn't a process that took days or weeks, but at some point in 2019, I just had 23 items on a list. What I do remember is that one of the items, number 12, had already been playing around in my mind for a while. Uh, and that one is playfulness, usefulness, and restfulness are the only three states of mind I want to inhabit. And it's quite interesting to, for that to be the, the seed of this, because quite often when people read the items on the manifesto, that is the one that they pick out as like, oh, I really like that one. Um, so, you know, if, if this is a pearl, this was like the first grain of sand that everything else kind of built around. Um, and why did I do it? Yeah, I think it was uh, going through years and years of being seemingly depressed, seemingly quite anxious, seemingly quite sort of um, uncomfortable in the world, um, getting to a point where I just had to figure something out. I just be like, okay, what, why is it that I feel this, this distance with myself? Like, uh, this was just one way I found to do it. And now that I've written it, it almost sometimes feels like I've written my own prayer, my own set of mantras that I, you know, cause the way I use the manifesto is I read it every day. Um, and what I, what happens when I read it every day is that it either brings me to a center or closer to myself, or it highlights where I'm at a distance with myself and what I might need to kind of change slightly. So is that an idea just so I get the idea behind it? Is that an idea that originated in you? Basically, it's not a known, a known uh, method of, of kind of connecting people to their own authentic selves. And also if you could elaborate a little bit on the authenticity issue, mm. if you don't mind sharing why this is the concept. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people go to therapy and different concepts uh, bubble to the surface and, and that's what they're going to work on. But why authenticity of all things? Hmm. Well, actually, the question of authenticity came from, I just realized there's another part to the, to the origin stories. Uh, in 2019, I started this six-month peer coaching program called a learning marathon. Um, 
And in this learning marathon, there was there was nine of us as, as a group. We came together and we co-created six months of kind of learning based on questions that we would have. And my initial question that I started with was, how can I share my stories in a way that helps others? And then that question evolved into what is my sustainable authenticity? And I think it was because I realized that in order to, for me to be telling my stories, I needed to be in touch with them, to be able to get close to them without running away or without uh, feeling too much shame about them. So that felt like authenticity to me, kind of, can I, can I be comfortable with uh, the different parts of myself, different aspects of myself? And then the sustainable part was that I, I noticed that at times I, in other people and in myself, I'd, I'd seen them describe themselves as authentic, or I would describe a moment as authentic. I said, like, well, how can I sustain this? How can I feel this like more often, more regularly, more clearly? So that's kind of where the question came from. What is my sustainable authenticity? So, um, and I don't, I don't know if it's a standard practice. Like I, I know that if you Google personal manifestos, there'll be other people who've written them. And that's kind of where I got inspiration from. But this was just one of probably many ways in which you could do it. I guess I'd been looking at various ways that different traditions help people like get centered and get grounded. And for some reason, I just didn't feel like I wanted to take an off the shelf uh, thing from any any given tradition. <laughs> but as you as you read the manifesto, you can totally see like, oh, this is a bit of stoicism. This is a bit of like mysticism. This is a bit of Buddhism. Like I was like, oh, OK, it's all coming together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting for me to think about the the concept of of authenticity to um, to begin with. What do you think it it means exactly? Authenticity? Can any one of us be acting, and we know we're acting, and yet not be authentic? So where where does it lie? Where does the truth of us lie? <laughs> yeah, it's like the classic question of like the advice of be yourself is like the most useless advice, right? Because like how can I be anything but myself? <laughs> Right. <laughs> is is that is that a kind of like thing you had in mind? Well, yeah, also and and just really trying to think about our, all of us basically what does it mean for us to be authentic and really maybe go by way of elimination or or the opposite and say like when you're inauthentic what what is it that you're yearning for when you when you want to find your authentic self? What is the mm -hmm. desire for what exactly? I remember at certain points feeling like I was picking out moments or experiences in life where I just felt the most either at peace or joy or, you know, some kind of good feeling of alignment. It was like, oh, this is how I'm meant to be. Like those moments where I felt like, oh, I'm really present. I'm really here. So in a way, I guess the manifesto is a series of like empirical observations from my own life. At that point, I would have been, what, 29, 30? Um, and being like, oh yeah, that time when I wrote that thing and shared it with people and they really resonated. Oh, so apparently storytelling is a big, big deal for me. Or like that time when I managed to get both give and receive feedback in a way that was really honest, but also really useful and wasn't brutal. It's like, oh, that honesty and kindness can go together. They do go together. So these, these were things that I kind of was picking out. It was almost like, a, uh, getting these like highlight reels. Uh, of my life like these are the these are the moments where you felt most inner peace is I guess how I would put it um yeah I guess and then the, the the opposite being like the times when I was always thinking about the future or the past being held down by the you know whatever traumas or whatever worries about career or relationships or whatever and being like okay why were those why were those feelings coming to the surface and there's lots of reasons why those come up so trying to like gather all of those and trying to eliminate them didn't feel like the right way. Whereas the, the, the good moments felt rare enough that it was worth being like, okay, let's just pick out those and focus on those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can relate. I can definitely relate. And I think I get what you mean, but I think it's worthwhile because since we're talking to kind of more explicitly examine like the authenticity concept, and it's very interesting because also when I reflect on my life, there are just things that you do and just feel right, that it just feels, just resonates better with your um, soul or whatever is at the center of your of your being. Mm. And there are also things that where you do for the first time, 
and it's experimentation, but the results from the experiment come back like very positive, right? It's like right. you really hit something there. Yeah. That's, you really struck gold in terms of how it felt, in terms of, of pleasure, in terms of, of how comfortable it was to do it, of yeah, how proud you are of yourself that you did it, things like that. So that's really interesting. What's the, um, yeah, that thing about experimentation and things maybe you're not sure about, but then you figure out, oh, okay, that was, that went well. Um, that made me think of the breadth of experience you need to be able to kind of figure out your authenticity It's kind of very hard to define. Um, and I think I, I almost don't even like the word define because define feels like you're imposing something uh, on yourself, whereas that this is more of a discovery or an, or an emergence. Um, and like I said, it was based some mostly on like observing points in my life. So that was very much looking at what had happened and seeing, um, like picking out the relevant bits as opposed to saying like, from now on, I'm going to be this type of person, um, which is a bit, bit more kind of like controlly. Um, so I don't know. I sometimes wonder about like, have I had enough experiences to like really <laughs> be able to say this is my authenticity but I think that's also why I'm in the process of reviewing it now because I think certainly in the past two years enough things have happened and I'm like maybe I'm a different person now and it's very uh good and nice that I would change over time yeah I, I, I will want to ask you later about the whole concept of a manifesto as a device that in a sense kind of fixes your self in a way right. and and about how to approach uh redoing it um still thinking about authenticity here it's interesting because it meets me in in my life in a place where um really for the first time letting myself be free experimenting totally experimenting and you know a lot of personal growth has come for me from times when i was deciding explicitly like what you just said like i'm going to be this type of person like basing my mm. uh, myself and my behavior after archetypes right so i right. found <laughs> I, I found a lot obviously i found a lot um from stories like about jesus or it's like mm. there's definitely <laughs> stuff to be taken from there right in terms of in terms of attitude towards people um, or other kind of mythologies that I see around me and I decided to adopt into my personality. Um, but now it's a different phase that where I'm saying yes to a lot of things without knowing yeah. where they're going to lead, okay? And it, it, takes, it takes courage to kind of trust yourself that it would actually go to a good place and not a bad place. Um, but I'm, mm. wondering, I'm wondering if you're experiencing anything similar. Yeah, I think the um, in terms of things that you fix or, or or discover, actually, last night I was thinking about this idea of like, should you should you go by this rule of you know people talk about like if it's a if it's a hell yeah it's either a hell yes or a no or you know that but that gray between some things are a hell yes some things are a hell no, but what about like all the stuff in the middle? So actually, quite a lot of the good stuff comes from the middle, and. No, no, I think I just went off on my own different train of thought. Ask me the question again. <laughs> do, you, um, do, you, do you feel like there are things in your life that you were, because you were talking about explicitly telling yourself that you're going to be this person or that and hoping to find authenticity in this way, but maybe to be, for it to be truly serendipitous and, and find like truer answers to that, mm. who, who is my authentic self? We need to go not by um, explicit kind of decisions, but just a lot of experimentation. Right. Yeah, exposure to serendipity and just kind of different environments. Yeah, I think randomness is both uh, the thing that makes the world like uh, sometimes feel like evil and complicated, but also the thing that is the opportunity to kind of figure out how to find your place in the world, like exposing yourself to randomness. Uh, to serendipity. Um, yeah, and I think that's what happened. Like the in the in the two or three years leading up to me writing the manifesto, I feel like I exposed myself to a lot of different things outside of the mainstream paths of like get a career, settle down, all of that stuff. 
that's not to say that that's the only way to expose yourself to randomness. Like you can, uh, you can, there's a lot more, you know, obviously like reading and like hearing stories from other people was a big part of it. And I think that's where it started for me that I was like hearing different things from so many different people. And I was, there was a time in my life where I would more, more often listen than talk. And I think, I hope I still do that, but I try and talk a little bit more because I noticed I was denying myself the space to also share my stories. But yeah, listening to lots of other people was the, the start of me getting more seeds of serendipity and being like, oh, okay, well, I wonder what would be like to go and do this thing or uh, become that type of person. Like so simple things like uh, volunteering for a charity, for example, like I hadn't done that before. Doing stand-up comedy, I was like, well, I've been watching comedy for as far as I can remember, let's go and try it, you know? Uh, those are some kind of more mundane things, but then there's lots of other things of like, ooh, what if I just try this whole different career path, this different kind of like relationship style? What if I just, um, you know, doing things like 10 days of silence um, at a meditation center? I'm just like, let's see what that's about. Like, those are just kind of extreme, but sort of still sent within the range of comfort or just outside the range of comfort experiences that I was like, well, let's just go and do it. So yeah, I, I think it's pretty important to to not try and design it, but to discover it. I think I think it makes total sense because if I look at something like evolution, right, and we're trying to evolve mm. as people, well, evolution has this component of random changes yeah. in Mutation, the genome, yeah. right? Mutation, <laughs> uh, and and these these are not designed. And actually, I think it's interesting to think about what would happen. I mean, it does happen now when people are designing other crops, let's say, to produce more fruit and so on. Um, but I wonder how many failed attempts like that are actually on the, um, on the floor of the, of the geneticists, mm. you know, the failed experiments. Uh, we never get to know these details. Yeah. And it's really interesting because evolution is all about, is all about conserving what you um, sticking to what you know works so we have all this knowledge evolved over millions of years that is known to work in, in the environment as it is and very gradually like building upon it and some mutations obviously are going to be more harmful than beneficial mm. but it's a very interesting approach and I think overall it would be interesting to, to learn if if that has better success rate than changing things rapidly all of a sudden based on some decision, uh, you know, which I think so cool. probably the geneticists probably mess up most of the experiments and, and cause uh, sort of some sort of unviable organism to grow uh, and, I love and die this. very I love quickly. This, this artisanal metaphor of uh, genetic, like evolution as applied to your authenticity or your sense of self. Um, I want to I want to play with that a little bit more. So let's do it. So I guess like if um, if any if there is a if there were themes to the to the manifesto, I think a big one is exactly what you just described. That like there's several things in there of I uh, I approach others with curiosity. Like that's basically getting different inputs, like sources of mutation, basically. Like there's things in there about learning and adapting without ego. And it's like don't be beholden to what was before. Like, you know, something's changed, you're gonna go from it. Like, you know, learning from your failures, that's that's evolutionary thinking, right? So I think one of the themes here is to not try to design, but to kind of evolve with. So, um, and the comparison you make of like geneticists trying to design like plants uh, or, or uh, crops to, to be a certain way, they have failures, but nature doesn't have failures, right? Nature just does stuff and then in particular niches or environments, some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. Um, so I guess there's a way in which you can think of, oh, apparently this version of myself or this part of myself, maybe this just hasn't found its niche yet. Like maybe there's a place, a group, uh, a work, a hobby, a way of sleeping, whatever it is that, that I need to kind of find a fit for as opposed to like need to change it to fit the environment. Um, so I kind of like that idea of like, if there's something that feels like weird about me or like whoever's thinking about themselves, think about, do you want to change that? Or do you want to change the environment and, or, you know, find your niche in it? Um, and this idea that like, you're talking about genetic evolution, 
but then we have like mimetic evolution now, right? Which is much more rapid, rapid because of like internet globalization, blah, blah, blah. So we have this like rapidly changing environment that obviously genes aren't gonna keep up with, but our brains have to keep up with. Right. Um, so, but that also means there's a lot of potential different niche environments to kind of fit yourself into. I think this is what the internet has allowed us for sure is find, find a way not to push ourselves to fit in whatever small town we might have been born in but you know push the boundaries and see the world and find something so in a sense in terms of our ideas and our personalities and our selves basically we gained mobility right that mm. we didn't have before if we were more like sea anemones i don't know 500 <laughs> years ago where you would just stick to where you were born then now we get to explore larger parts of the ocean and find just this niche with the right temperature and right minds around us and things like that i mean it's like i guess you you've all, you've had to go through this basically recently right with like your job changing because of like what's happened and now you're like trying to find a different niche which i feel like you've done a pretty good job of finding it <laughs> <laughs> so like you're doing evolution right now right i i try yeah i mean and and it's and it's totally serendipitous you know i didn't know that i would i would find online communities that were it was totally serendipitous i had no idea what i'm why i went on twitter mm. I, it was way after i closed my facebook account um, <laughs> and i just figured like it's a platform where is, that is more searchable for the topics that i want to follow and it was totally serendipitous to find the people that now i'm i'm so grateful for having met them yeah. And so that like Facebook is a bit more like a closed garden laboratory environment, whereas like Twitter is a bit more like wild, right? So. <laughs> well, yeah, Facebook, especially in the in the earlier years, you know, it basically just uploaded the connections you had from real life, right? On the mm. internet. And it, there wasn't much um, internationality uh, going on there at first. And I just did it to keep in touch with people from back home anyway, when I went abroad. And Twitter, I feel, is more is better suited for this day and age where you want uh, for curious people to connect with, with people all over the world. So yeah, you're right. It's it is it is an evolution. And now that I found the sort of niche that that works for me there, then I'm really trying to find people that can prompt me to go outside of myself once again and keep experimenting, keep mutating, to use the language we've been using, and it's been amazing for sure. It's funny because I guess my my question, the question that came up in my mind as you as you said that was like, oh, I wonder what the next mutation is going to be or what the next evolution is going to be. But that's the whole point. I don't know. Like it's going to be completely random. <laughs> it's it's very hard to know. But but this is this is the thing. Is like I think that the fact that the we're in a more international environment now, first of all, allows us to be more authentic because mm -hmm. right now I'm in this space in my physical community where I am, but nobody knows what I'm doing and I'm, I'm really essentially in a, in a very different place and I don't have to be confined. Um, so therefore I don't have to fit in. I don't have to be outside right now and uh, whatever if if it were a village that still has like traditional clothing like i don't have yeah. to wear this traditional clothing anymore or do um whatever my ancestor used to do right because i have another community i can belong to another niche and you you said internationally a couple of times um do, do you think that's the the biggest sort of factor in in that like the international nature of the communities you found or is there something else i think part of it is 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 that because i i've always been interested in other cultures and other people coming from other cultures and you know our conversation just a little chat before this recording began like immediately went to the place you came from the place your parents came from like i've always found that fascinating languages mm -hmm. customs um, so that's that's one thing, but also just the sheer numbers of people that can now meet in the in the city square. You know, it used to be just mm -hmm. the residents of that city, and once in a while you would have a traveler coming with his <laughs> caravan caravan of spices. You know, and he tells you of all these like faraway lands and and the the stories and the tales. Um, and now it's it's all available to us, and I think there is no reason for a person today 
who's not feeling comfortable in their own skin because of the context they they're living in i it's really important for me to know uh to let these people know that they can just go online and find the right place for them there was a um Catherine, who you know, she um, tweeted something recently that uh, made me think of that, the idea of like never feeling like part of any particular in-group, um, which I resonated with. And I think quite a lot of people in our little part of Twitter probably resonate with. And, you know, my response to that was like, yeah, we're kind of like group nomads or, you know, we're just we're, we're the ones like going between the town squares. Right. But there's a lot more of us now. Right. Like. It's like all the or all the caravan people, like we're all kind of somehow managing to meet somewhere. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think the yeah, what, what was it called? Yeah, this idea of like a mimetic mediator. Like I think the other kind of theme in the in my manifesto is the idea that like I'm not beholden to any specific field or like ideology or anything like that. I'm very much a collector and synthesizer of those. Um, so I love being able to kind of understand this group and that group and that group, but then also find the commonalities. And I think that's something that like, I can see you're good at and want to do as well. And that's how we found our little out group in group, uh, on, on the internet. Some of us, um, our common, the common factor is the curiosity almost. For sure. Yeah. If, if I had to pick one, it would be curiosity. And I'm interested in, you know, in like going a little bit back to the manifesto, if that was something you did, it was that a turning point for you in terms of that was the kind of thing that made you go from listening to, to expressing yourself. Is that around the, the same time? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, is that something that um, assisted your transition into someone who's better able to express himself? Yeah. I did not notice what effect the practice of writing and reading the manifesto um, was having on me. I didn't notice the effect of it until probably about seven or eight months ago. Um, and I noticed it because I was seeing more of a, it was a very different quality of feeling when I, were, when I started reading it. So when I first wrote it, I felt some of it, and I still, some of it, I find a little bit cringe or like, oh, what, who do I think I am to be saying that stuff about myself? But that became less and less the case uh, over the past two years, up to the point where I was regularly reading it and feeling like, I think I'm living up to my manifesto fairly okay. You know, and my manifesto is a set of promises, right? It's uh, things you're trying to manifest, <laughs> to use a word that's probably been co-opted too much. Um, so the self as a tool of self accountability and self compassion, I noticed that I went from trying to drag myself towards it to being like, oh, I think I'm in the vicinity. I'm pretty close to it. Um, and I think the way it happened was I just rewired, you know, it was like a rewiring. It was like an operating system refactor. It was like um, simple things like the gratitude practice something I'd been doing for like a year or two before I wrote the manifesto, I had a reminder at 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. every night uh, to say like practice gratitude, just three things, which is something a lot of people say. And I tried to do it with the journals and the writing, but found like the minimum viable product for me was like a reminder. And I would just sit there and think of three things. And it was hard, but now it has become natural. Like such that I moved house one time and I forgot to update the reminder on my Google Home device. And, but I noticed I was doing it anyway. So that was like a rewiring of something that I really feel like has changed how my brain works. Um, and I guess similar things have happened with a lot of the other items on there. I don't know if that answered your question. Have you, have you felt any pressure at first? I mean, I think it's implied in what you're saying that, that maybe there was this aspect of feeling pressure to live up to expectations because now you did outline a sort of person that, yeah, yeah, that, that you, that you, that you identify with yourself. And yeah. um, I'm curious about how it felt at first. Um, were there points that you felt from the beginning were mm. spot on and others that were more of 
a wishful thinking at the time, but you managed to live up to the expectations or anything like that? Yeah. There were some that were, some items on there were more aspirational, um, but they still had a, had a hint. I had a hint of them in my past. For example, the, the first one, which is the one I feel the most, the most awkward about because I feel like I haven't done enough for it is like, I'm a writer and storyteller, a master of words. Um, so that's one that I quite often would face it and think, yeah, like, you know, today was a good day. I wrote like this thing and that thing, and it was awesome, but actually thinking about it now and similar evolution to, to you of kind of wanting to be, a, be writing, but actually finding myself more articulate or more, uh, excited in conversation or in collaboration, I might change the the writer, the phrase writer into something else. I think the storytelling and synthesizing and narratives is still in there somewhere. Uh, but now it's a case of, I think I'm not gonna try and force myself to be a writer. Uh, I'm gonna observe how I do the storytelling and like let that be become my new center. So that's an interesting one. Cause I was like, this one's like number one, this is the one I've got to go for. Yeah. But also the one that I'm like, I think is most likely to change. Um, so yeah, both the discomfort of feeling distant from it, but also realizing that like, I wrote this myself, like I'm not accountable to anyone but myself. So I can also change the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting that, that you tell that about a writer, because I think out of all the points on your manifesto, and I'm not as well versed in it as you are, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of the features a lot of the points d deal with others and do that. And definitely writer for me in my journey where I also tried to write. I noticed mm. that a, a writer is kind of, it's very appealing in our individualistic culture, right? Yeah. There's one writer, you hardly ever find collaborations of two writers writing one poem or anything like that. It's like highly individualistic, mm. highly creative, and, and also highly, highly, um, valued by by others in our society so it's a very natural route to go down to the to the writing profession but i also see a kind of a sea change uh, in my life and i try to be in the company of people that are going the same way of pointing out to people it's like look how much can be achieved through collaboration yes. you know not yeah. to mention the joy that comes to most people so of course, there are some people who are these uh, lone wolves, you know, who don't even feel comfortable out around other people. Writing is definitely the thing for them. But I think uh, most people actually enjoy collaborating. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's interesting to think about the people who we do see as lone wolves, which do exist, or people who kind of somehow are individually kind of really impressive or productive or prolific. Um, there's usually, you know, the, the famous saying of behind every great man, there's a woman, you know, doing everything or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> um, or like, you know, whoever, you know, wrote this book or that book, all the kind of philosophers of many centuries past, they were usually quite well off or wealthy in some other way. So they were kind of like sat atop this, this, um, this mountain of privilege, money, access, whatever, that meant that they could be lone wolves and take their sweet time doing stuff. And I think for most people, that's that's not the way it's going to go. Like we're only going to be able to co-create and like do teamwork uh, to do some of that. And maybe someone will be, you know, the more visible person or the forefront or whatever. But you know, a band has a a band has a vocal, like a, a lead singer or a lead person, and there's still other people in the band. They still, you know, have to make the music together. Um, so yeah. So in terms of the writing and me being a writer. The idea of me just sitting there, I think you, you mentioned this, or be just sitting there for hours trying to write. It's like, why would I subject myself to that when that's clearly not what I want to do? <laughs> not, not my authentic self after <laughs> not, all. Not my authentic. This is, not, this is far from peaceful. The inner peace is not here. <laughs> um, so actually, yeah, like, for example, doing, the, doing, doing recording rackets and stuff has been really good because especially since they added the transcriptions uh, um, feature, I can just like take some text from a racket and be like, oh, this is this is my, yeah, my I notes. Wrote, I wrote this today, yeah. Yeah, I wrote this today. <laughs> no, that that's so true. And 
I think one metaphor that came to my mind before when I was conversing to people about this issue of, of having the, the alpha at the top or the person who everybody has their attention turned to, to this person. It's more like, a, more like a tree, you know, when the tree is in its mm. seed stage, like obviously the seed is the star of the show. Like even if you look at the tree, everything came from this one seed and there can only be one seed for, for a tree. Um, but in the end, you have this symphony that the leaves are creating in capturing oh, sunlight and and love that and doing all the photosynthesis. And yeah. sure, you could do without any one leaf, but the harmony is not going to be the same. And if you take out enough of them, then the whole thing is going to wilt and die, right? It's, and then the seed that. that started it eventually is not is not going to be well known after all, because yeah the other parts are not able to play their role. Oh, I love that. That's the seed and the tree. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Oh, that gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. No. Yeah. No, um, and I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering if, the, if, if that could segue us into like social aspects in your manifesto, like obviously mm. reflects a deep caring for, for others around you as well. Um, and also, I'd like to hear from you if, if this is something that was made clear by the, by the manifesto, or were you always about, mm. about doing things with other people and caring for them? Yeah. It, interestingly enough, the, someone who read the, the manifesto once told me, like, there doesn't seem to be a lot about the outside world in it or like things that are outside of myself and that wasn't intentional but i think it's i i, I see why and i kind of like that that's the case i think the main things in there about um social aspects are just allowing others to be um like not assuming anything about other people and yeah kind of the in the in the patterns of my life and noticing like what has in, in noticing like what i enjoyed um in navigating the world was moments when i was holding and co-creating with others um which is still a bit of a dilemma for me because in the in the world that as you said values individualistic achievements i'm like well if i'm always the supporter or the kind of the the, the, the space holder, you know, what about me? <laughs> what about my story? <laughs> I see one of the topics that I mentioned to you that we, we might have talked about does is touched on here, which is the idea of like this radical egalitarianism, which I don't know if that's a phrase that's already used in some academic literature, but this idea that like, no matter who you are, um, your point of view has value. Now within a given context, that value might be different, but for example, if I'm talking to a child, they have a perspective of what it's like to be a, like a 30, 30 something year old that I don't have anymore. I used to have it maybe, but they have their own particular perspective, regardless of all the other factors that would be involved. Just the fact that they've got that gap between being 14 until 30. That's a really interesting perspective for me to like explore and be like, oh yeah, remember when 14 year olds think about 30 something year olds, like in this way, like that's crazy. Like how my thinking has changed. Likewise, the other way, like if you talk to a 60 year old, it's like, oh, when I was 30, this and that and the other, like it's not necessarily that their, their opinion or experience is more or less interesting, uh, more or less valid, but it's definitely interesting. Um, and in, in, in some ways it feels like very social, but in other ways it's also very like uh, personally relevant. I'm like, oh my God, by looking at my life, my I'm the only thing I can experience and I'm the center of the universe, but by seeing it from other people's perspectives, it just enriches it so much. And I see things that I didn't see before. And that's what I try to respect. Yeah, th that's great. And it I'm just going to go off on a tangent for a moment, but just recently I was revisiting my teenage years in a very interesting way, because for some <laughs> reason, I can't remember what I was feeling that day, but uh, being a, depressed teenager i listened to a lot of uh, okay computer so, <laughs> yeah, nice. as, as i'm sure you have have you yeah 
a little bit yeah yeah okay so that that was definitely a defining album for me in those years and just recently i i put it on my put it in my earphones just alone at the house and just kind of immediately took this wormhole back to my you know 17 year old self and really got in touch with the person that i was then mm. um but kind of I, I was trying to find the best amalgam between the person that I am today and the person that I was then. And so going back in time, so now I was a 17-year-old, but not depressed, uh, strictly hopeful, and trying to see how I can unlearn the last 16 years or so and go back to this um, unwavering optimism that is associated with, um, with teenage years usually. And mm. really unlearn all the years where I was just this person who's had to get a job, you know, and be serious and all of that. Because I was trying to kind of yeah. go back to a place where everything, where, where more things were available to me. Options, right? Or like mm. ways, for the way to un- ways for the world to unfold. And it was a really interesting experience to put on something that's emotionally salient and, and takes you to a very specific um, period in the past and kind of see how you feel in that space with some of the wisdom that you have in yeah time travel through music yeah i love that um did that have social aspects for you that that looking back and comparing now and then like did, did other people come into that exploration no actually not it was deeply personal except you know, I told my wife immediately afterwards that I had gone through something special. It was really special. I hadn't done it again either, mm. but it was it was also totally serendipitous because I had no idea that morning that I was going to put on an <laughs> OK computer and travel back in time. Yeah. But, you know, I just found that this could be a nice experiment to have for anyone who's kind of wanting to get in touch with any period of their life. You know, maybe mm. it's not the teenage years, maybe it's just five years ago, but put yourself there kind of, backtrack and look at uh, at other options maybe other potentialities that never materialized but now you want to make them available to you again and yeah it's um i have a i have a journal that um i've written in maybe an average of two or three times a year since i since i've got it and i got it when i was 18. so it's it's uh interesting to flip back through it now and see some of the same things that led me to writing a manifesto and doing therapy and doing all this other stuff like literally the first page of that of that journal is um is me talking about my name and i was grappling with my name in the western world since then since i was 18 and probably younger and only last year, actually around the same time last year, I wrote a little article about names and how complicated that is and what it what it does and how it affects my relationship with my past self. Um, for example, doing like a bit of time travel myself of like getting in touch with my inner child and noticing that the child wasn't responding to me calling it Amir because that's not what the child was called. The child wow. was called Amir Hussein, right? Um, and that was a that was a, like a big like oh my god moment because i was like yeah i've just been like locking this child away like even if i hadn't locked it away it was it, he was not getting any attention because i was literally not even calling it the thing that it recognizes as its name that's amazing um, yeah so like it you know so it's interesting to be like oh that journal said you know what do i call myself playing around with my name and then here we are like 20 years, uh, 10 years later, and it's like, oh, I'm still grappling with that. And finally, I've had some kind of breakthrough and now I'm at peace with it. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was a nice bit of time travel. But then there were bits where I'm like looking through the journal and being like, oh my God, I'm still going on about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I like that as a, so in terms of like respecting other people's perspective, I guess that applies to your past and future selves as well. It's like, you know, like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I did the washing up last night. That was such a good thing that Pastor Mir did. <laughs> <laughs> now I can wake up, just little things like that. For sure. I mean, I think all of us have to, at some points, make decisions that are, we know are going to have effect uh, years down the road 
and I think it's a it's a good practice to kind of make a point of really remembering the place you were coming from when you made that decision so that you don't fool yourself later on in life and, and call yourself an, an idiot or a wicked person or, or any sort of derogatory thing and treat yourself with respect. Like, yeah, if I remember it well enough, then I can see exactly why, what my reasonings were. Um, and also leave room for, for mistakes. So know that, that what you're doing might not turn out to be optimal at the time mm. but i really like the way you take your manifesto over to to that area where um it's not just others but yourself as well for sure yeah um which which of the which of the things on there that you you said you had to look which of them stood out to you as ones that uh were confusing or let you, you were less sure about oh i'm not sure that any of them were totally confusing to me but yeah oh today i i think i i locked in on 20 i make value judgments only when there is a goal in mind otherwise everything is as it should be because that oh, relates yeah. to a conversation i had yesterday um and yeah i'm interested if you're willing to elaborate i'll be happy yeah that's um i like that one the, the, the interesting thing about that one is that um it's ended up working backwards because we make value judgments all the time. Well, I make value judgments all the time, consciously or subconsciously. So on a conscious level, I can kind of follow this. I can be like, well, why do I, why do I like this conversation? Or why do I not like this conversation? Or why, why am I feeling annoyed with the weather today or whatever? Um, that, that usually leads me to like, okay, well, what is, what is my goal? Or what is the thing that I want or expect in the world that is not being met where's my expectation that's not being met so quite often the value judgments actually lead me to figure out my my goals and expectations and over time it's also meant that i just can maintain a bit more equanimity towards things that like you know even even a few three four years ago would have made me feel like really bad or really good even <laughs> so i think that the interesting thing about all of this is that it applies to the good stuff quote unquote as well as the bad stuff like, oh why am i so happy that this person responded to my email it's like oh i guess i really wanted them in my life in this way or another or i'm really hoping they give me a job someday or whatever like that's that's why it's making me happy um but i might have like you know send them an email and they might have replied for completely different reasons but examining why i'm judging it to be so good or so bad uh like helps me clarify like oh oh okay apparently that's what i wanted um so oh, yeah, this is yeah, not that, the way I expected this to work. Yeah, this is not the that's not the way I expected that item to work. Uh, I expected to be like I'm walking through life, just everything is fine. I'm you know a complete Buddha. <laughs> I don't care about anything. <laughs> but actually, that's not true. Like we're making judgments all the time, and instead of like trying to force myself to not make judgments, and I use it to be more aware of why I'm making the judgments, and that has the the weird effect of like reducing the number of judgments I make and how intensely I make them. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. What, what it brought to my mind was this idea of really not needing to monitor anything as long as things are, are okay, or it are, are really okay. And no need to, to worry about optimization or doing anything in the best way. Because mm. for that, if you're worried about outcomes, then yes, you need to be a designer and an engineer to see that you're meeting goals, right? And, and right. to really achieve what you're trying to achieve. Um, but that's a, that's a whole question. If, if life is, is a thing like that, if well-being is, is a goal or is it a, a process um, that takes place exactly in the moments where we don't have a goal? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's part of the process of, I guess, a part of like noticing the judgments and working out what you're expecting is a process of allowing becoming as well. It's like, yes. oh, okay, apparently today I wanted to be this way, uh, I wanted to feel this way. <laughs> the, um, the, it just sort of reminds me that um, quite a lot of the things on the manifesto can seem to be in contradiction to each other or, or complement each other in some weird ways. So contain some kind of dissonance. So like that one, 
you know, everything is as it should be, perhaps can seem in opposition to, I believe in being the change you want to see in the world and lead by example, that's number 11. I'm um, like, oh, okay, so do I want to change the world or do I just want everything to be as it should be? <laughs> like, <laughs> and both, right? It's like, both are true. I'm still a, a human person who like wants to, the world to be in a particular way, probably describe it in words like peace, harmony, creativity, playfulness, um, things like that. And I can still sort of affect the world by being that way myself. Like, and if I'm in a, I don't know, if I'm in a position of authority or power at, at, at the workplace, for example, that by leading that way, I can affect the world maybe in a slightly bigger way, but also by talking to you, by by tweeting, by kind of just one-to-one -one interactions I have with people, I can try and embody that. And that that's, goes hand in hand with like, things are as, as they should be. But apparently I do also have a goal, which is I would like more people to just be loved and loving. So I'll just live that way. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's interesting. You're pointing out the, the seeming uh, conflicts between different points. Do you feel that eventually um, since you said you are open to revisions because you make up the rules and that makes sense. Uh, would you want, would you want the document to be, um, achieving some sort of greater self consistency or is it absolutely fine that, that it contains multitudes as Walt Whitman would say? Yeah, I think the, the multitudes is important. I think I'd be very worried if I got to a point where I said, here is a list of rules and, you know, edicts to live by, uh, yeah, life's just not that simple, I guess, right? Um, I think I need it because also different situations demand different ways of thinking about it. So for the other one that I think uh, I sometimes uh, have to grapple with is number nine is I pursue my desires full-heartedly and ethically. And then there's um, number 18, which is I learn, examine, and protect my boundaries and allow others to do the same. Uh, depending on how you read those, they might seem in, in conflict with each other, but they're, they're just not because, you know, you, you get the ethics of full hearted desire by making sure you're doing things that are within your, within your boundaries, or you kind of appropriately kind of pushing and examining them, uh, in yourself, but also in, in other people, like ethics is about like people not being hurt. <laughs> so, um, more than that about people being benefited, I would say, well, yeah, ideally. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that's the thing, like one of them is doing a kind of a do no harm part and the other one's doing like, oh, how about we have lots of fun? So they kind of balance each other out in that way. So yeah, depending on the context, like I need to probably deploy a different one. I almost feel like I take these 23 items and depending on the situation, I kind of like pick out the handful that is that is important and apply those in in that given environment, like you mm -hmm. know, deploy, deploy <laughs> commandments. <laughs> and now... Um, I've seen you do a, a series of, of rackets and I'll also refer to racket in the show notes, but you have been in, in the process of, of kind of going back and really questioning some of the points and looking at them with a, uh, more critically. Mm. Um, have you actually made changes yet or are you, how are you debating with yourself on, on doing that? How do you think it's going to happen? When it's going to happen, is it going to be point by point? Is it going yeah. to be uh, version 2.0 of the document with a lot of changes or what do you think it's going, it's going to come next? So I'm living up to the manifesto by just allowing the curiosity to lead me. So in, in a few of the racket conversations, I've actually said like, oh, I wonder how this is gonna affect what I do with this item. Um, the curiosity came from that moment of like, oh, I think, you know, I feel pretty close to this. So now I wonder if it's time to change it. Now I'm open to the possibility that I don't change it. I'm open to the possibility that I replace all of it with like three sentences or a picture or whatever. I'm open to the 23 items becoming 46. Um, I'm open to like this particular point needs zooming into more or needs rewriting, whatever. So I'm open to all of it, but I think for now, I've just been like, I'll just go through each one by one and I'm trying to, trying to um, live up to the co-creation and collaboration spirit by being like, 
I'm just curious to see what other people's perspective is on this stuff, just as a prompt for conversation. And that has already like brought up several things that um, I'm like, oh, it's going to be really fun to try and bring all this together and synthesize it into whatever version two is or, or, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. There's no, there's uh there's nothing but curiosity here. <laughs> that would be putting the judgment before the curiosity. <laughs> now, now a tough question. Do you foresee any sort of possibility where you would tell yourself that actually putting these things in writing, writing a manifesto has actually um, ossified you in some way instead of instead of of keeping things boundless and mm. and totally open for you like do you feel like there is a chance that you would feel attached to one of them uh where you would find later that this attachment has actually prevented you from from outgrowing something mm. yeah i can totally see that and there's probably different ways of looking at my relationship with it that means yeah i've either ossified or it's yeah, it's sort of a, a framing of does has it has it grounded me or has it trapped me, right? Um, but the reason why I think I've kept going back to it is that if anything's going to ground me, if there's anything that I'm going to keep going back to, I'd rather it was this than say a bad relationship or some kind of addiction to to, to other to other things or to work. Uh, or whatever it is. If there's something that's going to ground me, I'd rather be, it be this. Um, so I don't think I've gone, I've grown to the point of feeling like I can be completely like um, floating, floating through through society and space without any grounding. So that part I like. Whether or not I would feel too attached to aspects of it or not, um, I don't think so. But as as I try and kind of bring it all together. I'd be curious to see which ones I do feel that way too. Because I guess, you know, as I said, for example, that first one of I'm a writer and storyteller, that's one that always snagged. So it's like, you know, it was like, I was trying to walk past it and it would always like catch me. <laughs> um, so taking that one as an example, like I think that's that's a sign for me to examine my relationship with it and be like, okay, do I actually agree with this? Is it is it holding me back? Because I think that one was holding me back and that I was reducing my expression because if it wasn't in the form of writing, I wasn't living up to the manifesto. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to change the change the item. I'm going to get rid of writer maybe and use some other word. <laughs> Podcast host. Podcast host, narrator. <laughs> I um yeah, I the, the the word that came up in the in the racket that I did about it was narrative builder, which sounds a bit, I don't know. I don't know. I'm yet to become comfortable with it, but we'll see. <laughs> Well, I guess I guess I get the I get the impression that everything is a is a possibility. Is that more of a tool to to rediscover authenticity, as you've said? Is it a, a lifestyle choice to to write a manifesto, to read it? Um, will there be a point where you think you will come to a point that says that it served its purpose and you would scrap it altogether? Mm, yeah, yeah, you, you're right. Actually, the, the other possibility I didn't mention was that, yeah, I just don't have one anymore. Right. So, um, so the, the, the revision decision to try and revise it came from that, that feeling of, I think it's served its purpose or like, you know, the 80% of its purpose that it could have served and the remaining 20% is going to take another 10 years. So let's see if I can change it so that I get to, um, something that will take me through however many years, uh, the next one will yeah there's a possibility that i might just not have it and that would be cool but again i think it's that back to the to, does everyone need an anchor point or something to ground them i think i do at the moment so for the time being i'm probably going to have something um yeah yeah and for that to be created by myself so that like when I read it, like, you know, 23 items, but each of them I, I read, there's like a whole host of memories and tentacles into various feelings and thoughts that, that come with it, which wouldn't be the case if I was just, if you, if you handed me the same document, but I hadn't written it, it wouldn't have the same effect. Oh, um, sure. So yeah, just the fact that I've come up with it. I think there's some weird thing of like, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, 
be told what to do. So, <laughs> so that's probably something to, to explore my relationship with authority. <laughs> um, it's not under, surprisingly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing about authority if I'm not wrong. No, it's because I just don't don't even want to don't want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> Although interestingly, authenticity and and authorship are are related, right? Or right. Authority yeah. and authenticity. So self 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 authorship or self authority, I guess, mm -hmm. is another way of thinking about it. Or kind of people use the word sovereignty, right? And it's like how can you be sovereign? That's another way of saying authenticity, I guess. What about the the actual practice of, of reading in it? Like, how do you approach it, and how does it happen day in and day out? Is it always in the mornings, always in the evenings, or? No, I don't have a set time. I um, I have it on my kitchen cupboards. So when I make coffee or breakfast, like or whatever meal, I I'll, I'll be reading it occasionally. Um, I also have it as a reminder on my phone with a link to the Google Doc. Um, and so sometimes when I'm reading it when I'm out or whatever, what's really good is that I end up like commenting on it in the Google Doc. So I have a conversation with myself back and forth over time. Uh, and that's also what started uh, one of the triggers to do the revision or do the do the review. Because uh, I noticed I was like, oh, there's bits that are like now I'm starting to feel a little bit more feel different about than I than I did, you know, six months ago. It's like, you know, I had this question that I commented on this, this line last year, this year, I feel very differently about it, I would answer the question very differently. So I've already kind of been reviewing it accidentally through comments on a Google Doc. <laughs> so between that and reading it in the mornings, um, it's kind of grown with me. It's, you know, if it was a seed, it has now like it sprouted a little bit. I don't know if it's going to grow into like a tree or it's going to stay a bush or whatever. Um, and the other way I use it is that there are times when I don't want to face it. Right? There, are, there are days when I'm like, no, I don't want to look at it. It's basically days when I don't want to be accountable to myself. Right. But I also have to remind myself that like, oh, that's also it's not just self accountability, but it's self compassion. So if I'm not looking at it, I'm also kind of kind of hating on myself in some way seeing myself as somehow having done something wrong or bad. Um, so that's a sign in itself. Even the act of not reading it helps me notice stuff. Right. That, so now, now I'm, I'm pondering whether you noticed any patterns in, in things that happened to you that make you go and, and read it. Like, are there, is there any pattern to that? Things that prompt you to go and look at it again, because putting it in the cupboard and, Obviously, you're going to make coffee, you're going to see it, um, it's there. Uh, but I'm wondering if, if you noticed anything, a pattern. I can't say I do. I think the, the reminders are daily. The reminders also in my calendar. So um, sometimes it goes past and I just forget about it. But then like in the afternoon, I remember and I read it. I don't think I can say there's been any patterns. There's probably more of a pattern to the days when I don't look at it, which is either because you know, maybe if I rarely drink anymore, but if I had a drink and I was depressed, I'm like, oh, you know what, Emery, you know, you shouldn't drink. It gets you depressed. Why did you do that? So, uh, so like now I think of that or, you know, honestly, so much of the time it's the basic things of like, have you slept enough? Have you eaten any food? Have you gone for a walk? Have you talked to anyone today? I'm like, oh, that's what it was. That's why I was feeling shit. So, <laughs> so that I've, I've spotted the patterns of when I'm not willing to face it. I can't say there's any patterns otherwise. Um, sometimes as well, I guess I have a have a thought about uh, one of the phrases, and I open the doc to comment on that specifically, just to capture it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's there's not a there's not a big system to it. Yeah, I think um, I'll just invite you to to add anything that you that you think maybe we left out in this conversation or other um, interesting insights that you had while reflecting on this habit of keeping a, a manifesto? I guess I've been thinking about um, in what form or whether doing something like this would be useful for others in achieving some kind of groundedness in a piece, whatever and how I might do that. So a big part of doing the review conversations with people that I didn't expect was some people being like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write something like this myself and just seeing what comes like, even if you don't end up using it as a, as a practice or whatever. Um, 
I'm trying to rediscover how I how this came to be because, like I said, it, there was maybe a seed, but I just sat down one day and wrote it. It wasn't like a big exercise. So, is that something that can be recreated? Will it lose something if I try to recreate it? Like if I have a workshop and you and some other people attend, why would they attend? Would they be able to get to something that they find meaningful? Is it the right thing for them? What are the alternatives to doing this for for different people? That's what's on my mind. The kind of actually the social aspect of it. Like, what does this mean for for others? And on a more personal level, this idea that I was very kind of self conscious and nervous about, you know, asking people to come along and talk about my thing. It felt very self indulgent. But I noticed that people were really appreciating it. You know, like because I'm not asking them to come and interview me or to for me to interview them. It really is just a prompt for conversation. And. That's felt really good. That's really reassured me about this, the value of collaboration and co-creation with people. As you said, like the seed is there, but the seed, you know, after a while doesn't really matter. It is not the main part of the the thing that grows. Um, so that's been really powerful for me um, of not taking myself too seriously, whilst also like being willing to plant seeds and seeing them grow. Wonderful, wonderful. And now, um... <laughs> As, as is the custom, you are now free to also tell our listeners uh, where you, they can find you, what you do, anything about yourself, that the projects that you're doing that you want to, to put out there, that would be also really good. Sure, yeah. Um, people can follow me at AmirHHZ on Twitter. Um, I don't have anything else to, to plug. I think at some point... Uh, in the next few months, I hope to get my um, coaching and consulting practice up and running for tech and product teams. Um, the manifesto and the, the work I've done on myself feeds into that a lot. And in kind of wanting to help people grow and help people kind of find their own path um, is a big part of that. So, yeah. And I say some funny stuff sometimes on the internet. So, yeah, follow me. <laughs> 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 great well that's a good that's enough good. reason for me and i'm a follower and <laughs> yeah amir thank you so so much for taking the time to to share with with me and with us um the insights you had thanks a lot Yao. this is really great thank you so much thank you bye-bye